Hello. Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. It's the kind of show I love doing because it's all about solutions to our incredibly difficult and challenging climate crisis. Global warming, greenhouse gases, these have been a plague among plagues uh, to our planet for many decades at this point. And among many people, we are hungry for answers to turn this situation around from air pollution and water pollution and soil pollution that has been destroying our food supply, destroying our waterways for so long. And we recognize the pollution sources and we recognize the source of greenhouse gases. Well, what can we do about it? Well, we can replace those sources of greenhouse gases. And today's guest, a brilliant inventor, environmentalist, and entrepreneur, Walt Jenkins, has come up with a technology that is addressing exactly this. He has come up with a way to utilize water in a way that is distinct from other water-based technologies that generate energy, some of which are you know, quite interesting. But this is truly a breakthrough and stands in a class by itself. Through the use of the thinking regarding thunderclouds, lightning, and the study of processes that led to a new discovery of extracting fuel energy from charged particles in high energy states is what has led Walt to occupying a place by himself in the world of creating a renewably-based kind of economy. And that's where we're going. And we'll be talking about this with Walt today. He is on the line. We'll be going into detail about the technology and the fact that he has turned this into a, an LLC. Uh, it's a corporation, a company that will be also doing quite well as this technology catches on, and it's doing so already in some very important places that I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more about as we go on. Walt Jenkins, welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Well, thank you very much, Mitchell. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to be here. I'm so glad. So, uh, you know, I can't, we can't overemphasize or underestimate the importance of a technology like yours that can do so much to reduce the need of uh, fossil fuels for both transportation, uh, surface transportation, for jet engines as well, and any number of places, as I understand, that a motor and an engine operate. So could you tell us a little bit about what this engine is, what this technology is that you have um, developed over the course of many, many years? Yes, certainly. Uh, a few years ago, I started trying to uh, find an alternative for fossil fuels, and uh, I was very aware of the pollution that was going on. And uh, so I, I did a lot of research. And first I was in, in electrolysis, and I, I kind of exhausted uh, the interest in that because the efficiencies were not there without major, major changes. And even though I increased the efficiency of the state of the art at the time, 
by quite a bit, I still could not get the efficiencies of the in, input power to output power r- ratio. And so mm-hmm. I started studying other ways to get energy out of water because I knew that, that water has o- over 1,800 times more energy per gallon than a gallon of gasoline. And those are the ways. That is a remarkable out. ratio, Walt. Uh, how did you yes, come is. across that, or is that is that something basically known in in physics well, or water known, chemistry? It's known it's known widely in academic physics, and and even Stanford research admits that really uh, it's thirty times water is thirty times more um, powerful uh, energy wise than a gallon of gasoline, and they've stated so in a documentary about this very thing. But yes. In reading white papers by advanced physicists from around the world and and uh, researchers, I came across mm-hmm. data that said that there was about an 1800 at maximum efficiency um, times more energy in water than gasoline. So I knew that is water so was interesting. Place. That is so I interesting. Mean, yeah, no one would have thought it. Right? One, it's like saying one gallon of gasoline. Um, or, or, eight, uh, or and one gallon of water is each equal to eighteen hundred gallons of gasoline. That's gallons. basically what it's like saying. It's a remarkable so ratio, a remarkable ratio that is literally in itself world changing. If someone knows how to to harness access that well, that's, eighteen hundred multiple. Question. Efficiency yeah. is the key. How much sure. input energy does it require to release that energy? And what's the efficiency of the process? So I started down mm-hmm. a path. I, I began about 8 amps input power, and I was running a 16-horsepower engine on my fuel system. But I knew that it could be much more efficient than that. And nowadays, I'm about 160 to 180 milliamps of power at 24 volts DC or even 12 volts DC. Um, is it's a fraction of an amp, and uh, that will. But you need to, to to ignite it. You yeah. just need and that little produces, amount to ignite. It, it also restructures water molecules in a certain way, and um, when they're properly processed, ordinary water will burn, and that's counterintuitive. So a lot of people, you know, you say, "Well, you're running an engine on water." It sounds like an eBay scam, and you know, yeah. back in the early days of uh, high electrolysis. Everybody was hawking uh-huh. this stuff, and everybody was saying they had the best systems and this, that, and the other. But basically, they only got a few miles per gallon gain, and eventually the plates and the tubes and whatnot in those systems would anodize from the charges, and uh, they would cease to function, and they, the anode and cathode, uh, it would just stop. And, and so it had a lot of problems to it. it but it was fun. I was involved in, in the beginning of that, and... Uh, and actually not really the beginning because there were people in the last generation before me in the 40s and 50s who came up with technology doing similar things. And some mm-hmm. claimed that they had, you know, one guy was claiming he, he drove an RV across the, the country on it. Another guy claim, uh, had a, a a yacht that he drove down the Potomac in Washington and had senators and people riding on it, and but he never got any oh. traction for an investment because big oil at that time was supreme and it, it just suppressed yes. everything in its way. Yes. Although, and that yes. still exists, believe me, but it's not as widespread and it's not as widely supported because 
there's a greater awareness now of what fossil fuel use has done to our ecology and is doing yes. to our planet. Federal statistics show, as of five years ago, that over 9 million people die every year from fossil fuel pollution. So oh God, considerable tremendous. six years to kill six mil or four years to kill six million. So uh, yeah. You, so is that, primarily, is that due primarily? Is that due primarily, Walt, from uh, respiratory illnesses because of air pollution? Well, I didn't see the stats that broke all that down, but it includes okay. everything to do with the. the I would imagine it was related yeah. to asthmatic conditions and bronchial, yeah, also, et cetera. If you, live, if you live today in Delhi or Beijing, it's worse than Los Angeles was in the 40s and 50s. And, uh, mm. I mean, when, they, when you're breathing that kind of smog and particulate matter. I know, I've been to Beijing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, uh, very true. It's really bad. Very true. I mean, your life expectancy can drop in half on some of that stuff. If you're in a bad part of the city, it's, it's kind of like black lungs from coal miners, you know? Yeah, right. There's, there's you know, I also want to just say that, uh, in light of what you were saying about, you know, big oil and fossil fuel and that whole marketplace and all, there has been a tremendous upsurge over the past several years um, in green investing. I mean, up to eight to nine trillion dollars worldwide of smart investors, tech savvy investors, green energy efficiency investors putting their money into renewable energy technologies. They know that writing is on the wall. They know where we're going as a society, as a global economy, and they want to be there. It's still early, believe it or not. Even though this has been going on for a good 30, 40 years now, uh, we've been inching, 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 but now we're really at a point because I know some of the, um, the fund managers and I've heard from them directly about what has been going on. And uh, it's actually very exciting. It's like people are waking up and people are paying attention and they're not just going to the antiquated uh, energy systems. They really want what's new and cutting edge. And God knows you, you really have that. So please well, go on because now you're making sure. a distinction between what you're doing and what you used to do, which was electrolysis, where a lot of the yeah, other water-based engines much. cut off. Yeah, please yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I don't do electrolysis anymore at all. And I yeah, found I know. a much better way to process water to, get the, to extract the energy available. My goal was to find a replacement for toxic fossil fuels and um, – that would run in existing internal combustion and jet engines with very little change to the engine, and, and we have achieved that. Um, we, we now, our input energy is about 160 milliamps up to 180 milliamps DC, 24 or 12 volt, and we can run an engine with what that produces, completely run it. And I've run 40 horsepower engines. I've run 16 horsepower engines. Uh, I run various, uh, we have a scooter that we drive. And we did a dynamometer tests on it, and it uh, actually shows an increase in power over gasoline from our water hmm. fuel. And we posted those wow. on our website, which is h2ge.com. And uh, that's, I'll repeat that. That's h2, the number two, ge.com. 
And so we posted that and a bunch of other information there and videos on engine running on 99% water. And very shortly, we will have 100% water fuel without any fossil fuels at all. Right now, we use about 1% fossil fuel to uh, help ignite the water, but we, we found other technologies that work better. And so we're, we're moving towards 100% water fuel. I mean, the, didn't um, you tell me that you could use a 9-volt battery just to provide that initial yeah, ignition? Published. Yeah, that's published on our website. <laughs> I, have, I mean, that's like funny. Um, we, yeah, I tested a system with a 9-volt battery input, and I actually ran a very small engine on it. So uh, it can it can do that. It, the, the process is unique. It doesn't rely on any prior art. It's nothing to do with electrolysis, and it's completely new technology, which I discovered by examining and studying lightning and how it works in clouds and why doesn't it burn the whole cloud up when it's charging up and, and uh, releasing the energy, and why what forms the trail. And we found out that well, those are largely ion trails down to, from the ground up and from the cloud down, and when they touch, you get a release of the charge. So above the cloud level is a, is a major, major formation of sprites, which are big, um, giant sparks going upward. And, and I believe those are charged particles that come in mm -hmm. from the sun and uh, go through our magnetic field and are charging up the, the outer atmosphere. And that when those charges are relayed and stored in clouds, um, or, and sometimes just in the air, in the humidity in the air, because you can have sheet lightning that's, that's dry. But most lightning mm -hmm. is coming from water, heavy water-laden clouds. And that, that is a release of energy out of a cloud is the most powerful force on this planet in the release of energy in a small amount of time. So in a microsecond, oh. you can have billions of volts uh, powered and amps of power coming from... Yeah. So, you know, if you could capture that and spread it out, you'd have, you'd have a great power source. There's a million strikes, I think, I can't remember if it's a day or a month or what the term is, but there, there's a million strikes in a certain quantifiable time every day all over the planet. But um, so my studies were into that, and I, I process how that works. And then I yeah. discovered that I can manipulate water so it can be burned in an engine with a very few modifications and process treating it. Of course, you know, everybody is – that's counterintuitive to most people because you say, well, water doesn't burn. It puts out fires. You, you must be crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and then more recently, we developed the technology so that now we can extract water from the ocean and power boats and ships and cargo freighters. And, you know, one of those super tankers coming from China to L.A. produces as much pollution into the oceans and the air as 250,000 mm. cars do in the same amount of time that it takes to cross. Oh my. So oh bunker my. fuel, ships run on bunker fuel, and they pollute yep. very heavily. And even though they, they clamped down on high sulfur bunker fuel, uh, when they first did it, there were a lot of boats just sitting in, in the uh, dock, not going anywhere because of it. And uh, so it's an economic impact that's huge. So with our water fuel... We can power. Well, it's also a huge economic. It's also, Walt, a huge economic liability. If you think about one of these uh, huge tankers 
catching on fire or sinking yeah. or anything like yeah. that. You have well, both yeah, on a pollution easy. disaster yeah. as well as a financial disaster for the investors yeah. or the, the yeah. owners, you know. But, so well, you're doing an end run around that. So I, I want to yeah. just pick up on one thing you said, and then I'll please continue. And sure. that is you you indicated that you can use salt water as well as fresh water. Well, that changes yeah. everything is a w- simple way of putting it. I interviewed a gentleman who is a water conservationist scientist recently uh-huh. who was reminding me that uh, only 3% of the water on the planet is fresh water and 97% salt water. So, in, of course, we yeah. live in a world of fresh water, and half of that is going to uh, the meatpacking industry and agriculture, and that leaves us with 1.5% for drinking and showering and everything else we do uh, worldwide. And so that not being able to harness that other 97% would be scary. And now you're telling me that all of the water, fresh or salt, is uh, essentially a fuel for your motor. Yes, or any, any internal combustion engine, which actually saves or any, that internal right. combustion engine. It isn't the engine that's causing the pollution, it's the fuel. And when it's you fuel, get right. an engine to run cleanly, you salvage all of that investment in internal combustion engines. There's this huge amount of uh, legacy technology around the planet. And uh, to, to change that over to electrics, and uh, there, there's a lot of mythology about electrics being much cleaner and safer the uh the car itself and the motor itself that's fine but the battery technology yeah, it's the battery yeah. it's the lithium ions and those are highly toxic and if you imagine a big landfill full of that stuff in your neighborhood yeah. or near your neighborhood and that thing ever catches fire you can't put it out it'd be like the coal mines yeah. down in virginia that have been burning for 50 years and creating huge pollution it's very yes, difficult yes, to put yes. that kind of fire out, and and uh, lithium ion is very self-igniting, especially when it's stored together for a long time, and it's not economical to recycle, so you have to have a constant mm-hmm. supply. Well, it happens yes. that Afghanistan has a huge supply laying on the surface, so that's you know you start figuring out what resources cause what wars. There you go. Yes, exactly. But, I did, I did, so it's either oil or lithium, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. there, there is hope though in, in in that in the electric car because I I like electric cars I think they're great they're 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 more responsive, but the fuel source is the problem and so you it's can pack them and put them in a battery, yeah. and but you need a yeah. clean battery technology and and there is some coming down the pike such as saltwater batteries, and uh, I've heard very mm-hmm. good things about those but ultimately they have to be charged they're just carriers of energy they're not creating so energy. what do you use. So, in your system, what do you use as your battery system storage? Well, I don't use the battery because in our system, what we do now, we used to just put a tank of water and draw that water. But I, I started to think about that, and I went, you know, carrying heavy fuel, especially if you're dealing with drones and things like that, or if on regular airplanes, a lot, most of the weight is in fuel. And so I thought, well, there's, there's got to be a better way, and I started to – they're very late in my research. I, I started to, and it had been there all the time, looked at atmospheric water. How much water is in the air? There's oh, 14, I see. There's 14.2 billion Extraction. Tons. Mm-hmm. Extraction from the air. And yes. 
Uh, a see, big dehumidifier, essentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah, big dehumidifier. In fact, the very first thing I bought to prove it to myself that it would work is a uh, Chinese uh, uh, humidifier. I extracted the water out of the air, and that thing took about six amps. It wasn't very efficient, but anyway, I got the water out of the mm-hmm. air, and I took it and put it in my system, and it ran the engine. I went, okay, this is going to work. Now I need to concentrate on new technology for extracting water from air. So I spent several years doing that, and then I discovered a a way to do it that's very passive. If a vehicle is moving or a plane or a jet or or even a Mm -hmm. train or a car, truck, if it's moving, you can utilize that energy and you can create heat and cold, and that can be combined to, to cause condensation at a high rate especially with certain materials. And so what I did was I came up with a new way to take water out of the air. Sometimes these things are called atmospheric water generators, AWG. None of them are very efficient that are on the market. And so I decided, okay, I have this technology. I can, if I can get enough water, I can stay ahead of the demand of the engine on the, on the vehicle. So Mm -hmm. we did that, and now I I have enough that I can run an RV across America. And I was planning on doing that this July before the virus shut everything down. So we've kind of postponed that until next year or the year after. But um, Mm -hmm. anyway, we're going to be taking an RV bus coast-to-coast from Washington, D.C., and show it to the congressman. And then we're going to go to Stanford uh, University and meet with a bunch of scientists and world group investors and show yeah. a documentary of this trip, and we will cross America without stopping for fuel. We will extract all the water from the air we need, and we have that technology now. And recently, I was at a conference in uh, Idaho. Uh, a fellow named Aaron uh, Murakami puts that on. It's a energy science conference, and a fellow mm-hmm. came up to me, Andre Dearden, who who is a really nice fellow. And uh, he's from the Dutch Ministry of Defense and or TNO, which is a huge uh, testing facility that's global. And um, the Dutch Ministry of Defense tests for military purposes technology. And they also are mandated by 2030 to get off of fossil fuels. And they didn't have any replacement that was actually valid and, and to be applied right now. There were a lot of people making claims, but nobody could deliver. So I said, well, yes, our our technology works. And so after a series of conference calls and back and forth, and uh, we now have a a pending contract, which I have to sign uh, in the next day or two and get it back to them because I'm a week late getting that done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's so much that's going Mm -hmm. on. But anyway, so we're in in, uh, a project with the – and what they do is they certify military – um, equipment for use by the EU military and by NATO. And so once we get that certification, our, our process is good as gold, and we will oh, more my. than likely wind up supplying fuel to the EU military and the NATO forces, and eventually probably the U.S. and other places. But um, Yes. You know, so in short, what will happen is here. your system, in effect, is a retrofit system. So yes, it's a uh, go on legacy, legacy technology, cars and trucks and tanks, and you, know, you can fit it on there very easily and use it. It's it's adaptable. So no matter what engines. the type, 
no matter what the type of hydrocarbon-based uh, a motor it is, your you can in a sense harness your well, if system it, if it runs on, to it. If it runs on gasoline or diesel or even propane or any of the fossil fuels, uh, it they they call them fossil fuels. Technically, they're not, but that's the the expression everyone uses. But yeah, anyway, sure. if you have an engine of any type that's out on the market now, we can run it on water. <clears throat> we can also scale that so that we can run big cargo ships at sea. We can run giant power plants, and especially if they're turbine-powered or if they're diesel-powered. Excuse me. But most power plants are powered by steam, and they're fueled Mm -hmm. by coal. So some are fueled by natural gas and other substitutes, but they're all basically doing is heating a steam engine, and the steam turbine Mm -hmm. generates the power. So they're they're halfway to being absolutely 100% compatible with our fuel system, and we're looking for partners where we can actually go in and convert uh, a small power plant and test it and get all the dynamics and and the uh, any problems worked out so that it's ready to yes. deliver commercially. Uh, we've run trucks on our fuel system. We've run. Uh, diesel engines, gas engines. We, uh, if you go to our website, there's a gasoline test engine that runs. I think I said that already, but 99% on water yes. and 1% on, on gasoline. So yeah. once so, someone also, makes the conversion, they are dealing with somewhere <clears throat> between 99 and 100% uh, water-based fuel. In, in the first iteration, yes, the commercial iteration, but very shortly after the commer- the first com- commercial phase, we will introduce 100% water. And, uh, I got it. That, that is – somebody asked me, well, if you take all the water out of the air, won't there, there won't be enough to drink. And I said, no, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. It's not based on consumption. It's based on balance. And the, yeah. the natural stuff is asked you that. about every <laughs> – yeah, every – okay. A lot of people ask me that. And, you know <laughs> – and I say, no, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a recycling system that works on balance. In nature, if it's short supply of water humidity in a certain area, it will draw what it needs out of the ocean or other water mm-hmm. streams and lakes and stuff, and it will create proper amount to put into that area. And so it replenishes what it needs, and that's, that's nature self-balancing. So That's the hydrologic cycle, the which is – you're saying yeah. does not get interrupted because you made another point when you answered that question, Walt, which is that uh, energy is neither created nor destroyed, and we have to remember that. So this yeah. is energy. This is a form of energy. So that, that no, it's a very good uh, answer to what is a sensible question to ask. You begin to think, well, my God, you know, it's like sawing the plank off you're standing on. <laughs> no, we need that water. But in fact, it's not disappearing. It is just being recycled, recirculated in another form. Yeah. And, you know, when um, a lot of people are right now trying to go to hydrogen technology, and that, there's a lot of talk about that, but I don't think that's well thought out. A hydrogen mm-hmm. is a good fuel. But hydrogen, in order to be in quantities enough to run a car or a truck, has to be stored under pressure. And when you store hydrogen under pressure, you're looking at a very explosive device. And if it gets compromised in a car wreck or anything like that, you're looking at a crater. (laughs) 
maybe yeah. a huge clear. You know, this not, is a very big simple. point you're making. That yeah, you're making another exactly. important distinction, not just between what you've mm. developed and electrolysis on the water side, but on the hydrogen side, because most people would think if you're going to be um, breaking up the water molecule, uh, you are going to be uh, accessing and utilizing the hydrogen for energy. But what you're saying well, is you're using the hydrogen yeah and the oxygen, so it's not really a hydrogen-based fuel. It's a total no, water-based fuel. No, there's, there's three fuel components that are well-known in water, and one of them ran the whole industrial revolution for almost more than 100 years and still does. Actually, it's, it's the basis of power plants, and that's steam. Steam expands 1,700 times. And my, my situation was I thought, okay, why would I just extract hydrogen when there's oxygen and that's a fuel too? It's a, it's a catalyst yeah. for fuel. You know, it causes combustion um, yeah. with the right uh, fuel source. And hydrogen and oxygen together, if you take a lot of energy in electrolysis and you separate the two out of water outside the engine and then you put them back in the engine, you can get an engine to run mostly with some supplemental gasoline or a majority supplemental gasoline but there are very few engines that run entirely on an electrolysis because it requires too much energy input, and, and it's very difficult to get that amount of energy out efficiently. So it's it's a dead mm -hmm. end as a technology. And the other thing is that when I was studying all this, I said, well, why the hell would you separate energy and go to all that trouble to extract energy outside of the engine? When you extract the energy, it should be used in the process. And so mm -hmm. what we did is we fixed it so that our water is processed in such a way that when it goes into the combustion chamber, it explodes in there. And during that explosion, hydrogen is extracted, oxygen is extracted, and steam is created. So now you have all three forces oh. in water working in that engine. And it's hugely efficient. And it doesn't take much because of our process is so efficient on the input energy side. And so we're running engines, and they run. They actually they they sit up and purr. It's like you know you you have an engine that's like a blah 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 and all that stuff. When you put the yeah. fuel in there, it just purrs. It's smooth. You can. It's like oh. somebody just oiled all the cylinders properly, and so it's much smoother and uh, it's much more. So powerful. the decibel level is very low. Well, it's it's less, but the main thing is the engine vibration. Uh, is far yes. less, and that that saves engine life. That's by, a whole uh, other saving. Because, yeah, because, yeah, because that means you've got less wear and tear on the motor itself. Yes, because harmonic in, and vibrations inside of engines, and um, is is a, a a major cause of wear and tear on engine parts internal to the engine. So yes. We solve we solve a lot of problems, and and I didn't set out to actually solve all those problems. They're just things I learned about my process on the way, and yes. I was going, wow. And the benefits that come problem. with them, yeah. There are benefits that accrue mm -hmm. along the way. I mean, see, I mean, if I may say that uh, your system is based very much on, you know, the 
fundamental idea of nature and what we call biomimicry, which is that you are simply following the way of nature, if you will, which is the basis of any good technology, uh, because nature has been the great experiment over millions and billions of years, and much has already been proven to work and other things proven not to. And if you're following in that pathway, which you clearly are, with understanding the explosive nature and the energy output of lightning and clouds and the bursting of a of a rain cloud i mean you have sort of pierced if you will some of the mysteries of nature and harnessed them for the sake of uh you know our our society and this is no yeah. pun intended explosive Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, recently I, I read a, a PR release from MIT that scientists there have discovered that water droplets have energy, and they release it when they're falling uh, onto an object, and especially if it's a particular type of receptive and conductive object, it can be release that energy. So they were able to light mm -hmm. some LEDs just with the energy extracted from. The, the crashing of water droplets oh, falling through I the see. air and collecting static electricity, and they, they were able to oh, light up some LEDs. God. And I was surprised to find so that, that they called that a discovery because we knew about it years ago. <laughs> yes. We were employing yes. some of that in, in our system. Some of that intelligence, know, yeah. That have you not, not widely known. <laughs> but, have but you anyway. done any calculations, Walt, of upon the implementation of your technology here it sounds like it's starting in the eu uh sometimes the united states is a little slow to catch on to good things and so other countries who are a little bit more energy efficient by definition culturally yeah. would no doubt respond fast and they are um but have you done i'm wondering yeah. any type of um projections of what this would mean for the greenhouse gas uh, sort of ratio, put, you know, reducing well, the carbon that, footprint that through easy. the application yes. of the motor. Yes, that's a very the easy technology. number. If you, if you put 99% water in an engine, you have zero carbon and zero other toxic emissions. And uh, other than the 1% gasoline that's releasing, it's 1%. But you reduced normal uh, toxic products from that engine by 99%, even now with our uh, still using a little 1% uh, gasoline or diesel. So yes. we knocked that down by 99%, and once we cross oh, over to the 100% water, it will be 100% zero toxic fuel. And uh, so that that's an easy projection to make just based on the, the contents of the fuel. But... Um, it, 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 there are other aspects that, that are in, very interesting to me, and that is Please. that once we discovered that we could extract water from air efficiently, then I, I basically did that to see if I could provide fuel from atmosphere and free up planes from having to stop and get fuel, military planes for being tied to a fuel source, and uh, oh. drones, drones that could actually go around the world several times and never stop or stay in one place for months at a time and never stop. And then I thought, well, I, there are surveillance a aspects of this. Uh, if you're dealing with nano drones uh, and you've got something that looks like a fly, but it's really a, a very sophisticated um, a, a photo, a video, video imaging system, optical imaging yeah. system, and, and an uh, audio 
um, information collector and, uh, and frequency collectors from temperature-based, uh, kind of like infrared cameras looking through a wall to see people. You, you can miniaturize all that, but how do you miniaturize the fuel and make that thing have enough range to go down range over into, say, enemy territory even, or even for civilian purposes? How do you get the mm-hmm. fuel to last long enough? So I was in discussions recently with this gentleman that's involved with the research project, and um, his name is Manfred, and he's a very, very intelligent guy. And Andre is also extremely intelligent. I love working these guys. And so mm-hmm. we were discussing the idea that, well, what if I could make a nano drone that could extract this water fuel from the air in a nano way, and it would mm-hmm. have unlimited range? And then you have something that's really, really highly potent- – got a lot of potential beyond military. I mean, it's just civilian things, you know, you're talking about mapping and and uh, doing surveys and all kinds of stuff. And you can mm-hmm. have swarms of these things flying around. It just, it's incredible. Oh, um, yeah. So you figured out how then to have the fuel source as nano-sized in order yeah, to well, feed it's, it's, it's the, a, a nano-sized drone? Yeah, it's water particles yeah, in the atmosphere. Yeah, water, but you have a way of yeah. feeding it. It's just like when you were thinking yeah. before when we were discussing batteries and storage. You said, in a sense, yeah. there really isn't a need for that because we can always stay ahead of the curve by extraction yeah. from the atmosphere. So I'm figuring yeah. it's a similar thing here. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's a, um, a whole research area in low-altitude uh, satellites, which are basically drones that stay over site for long periods of time. And mm-hmm. they, they're very limited by their fuel range. And so now we're talking about unlimited fuel range. And you could put yeah. up a, a drone-type um, uh, plane that, that can broadcast satellite and TV and Internet services all over the world, any any remote region without cable, without direct link satellite, you know, putting all that expensive stuff up way out in space. And yeah. It, it, this yeah. is a much, much cheaper alternative. So there's, there's a lot of – Much cheaper, and it's – Walt, it's a game changer because if you think about the dangers of flying with the sophistication of aerodynamics – Uh, It's not so much that, but it's the fuel source. It's the carrying of the huge tanks of fuel that makes it so dangerous. And with this, if I understand correctly, you've eliminated that. So you will be saving lives, saving billions and literally trillions of dollars on fuel well, costs. Well, think, think, about this, think about this for a second. Google is uh, trying to perfect their unmanned trucks that robotically go across America. Well, they mm-hmm. have to refuel those, and they're not very efficient on fuel use at all, and they're very polluting. We can put yes. a system on a truck that it does not need to stop. It can take the water out of the air. The only thing I've ever had to stop for is routine maintenance, tire changes, and lubricant changes, mm-hmm. and, and yes. that kind of thing. But you could, even if you had a, a manned pilot uh, chaperoning the system in the early stage, but in the later stage, you would probably even eliminate that. Um, and I don't like eliminating jobs for people, so I figured out ways to uh, get people from those job markets and actually retrain them into 
functioning, higher paying jobs that, that this technology can bring. So, I'm, you know, I don't believe in providing solutions that are just half-assed or don't, don't accomplish at all. It just saves one thing. Oh, you can brag, oh, electric car is great. Then you, you, you sweep the battery if you're under the table. And then you yes. sweep the power plant. The power plant is creating a lot of carbon. It is creating a lot of pollution. Yes. So indeed. with our system, we eliminate that for power plants. We can run power plants on water. And so it's a paradigm shift in energy source. Yes. And energy source is a $50 trillion per annual uh, revenue oh, in just in transportation God. segment, $50 trillion yes. in, the, in the transportation yes. segment. And so the all of that and the present day uh, use of technology is based on fossil fuels and coal and things like that. And um, they're, they're polluting. And, and our planet, you know, I, I read the works of Guy McPherson. And, mm-hmm. I was, uh, and you told me you'd had him on your show. A colleague I, I and a friend. Read. He's been on the show yeah, for I, sure. I, I read his book and I was almost drawn to tears to think yes. of what our planet is going to become. And even if he's yes. wrong on the timeline, he's right on the effect. And the effect Truly. is that if we don't change things, it will happen. And we could become mm-hmm. extinct because all these idiots out there say, oh, this, this stuff, is, this climate change is, is a bunch of crap. Well, if no, it's, you can say that all you want, <laughs> but the fact <laughs> is it's not going to change just because you say that. And, yes. you know, it, it may not have the immediate effect that you see. But the slow effect you can see right now. You can see weather gotcha. pattern changes in, in your own home where you're living and uh, the areas of the country you're living in. And yes. this, the sea rise won't, won't be – it'll be very, very slow until it's too late. Then it'll be very, very fast, and then it'll be too late to stop it. So we're, well, we're this headed is towards – Well, this is ecosystem science. The cliff. Very that. true. This is, uh, this is environmental science. Science Guy is an environmental scientist par excellence, and he's one of the very few that I have come across that is willing to say what he actually sees, what the numbers show. This is mathematics. This is not a question. I've also interviewed a gentleman named Dar Jamal who wrote a book that was just also frightening called The End of Ice. And this guy is a journalist and a uh, a trooper out in mountain climbing all over the world. And over the last 20 years, his book chronicles the disappearance of ice from the Himalayas and Mount Everest to Alaska, Colorado, Wyoming. Just the utter, complete disappearance of ice. And unless we do something major, that ain't coming back. So what you yeah. are doing well, well, here no with no, there are no more snows of Kilimanjaro. I mean, it's happening. You yeah. can see it around the world for somebody who travels. But if you just sit and listen, listen to this propaganda TV that suddenly converted in the yeah. last, you know, two or three administrations, most of the mainstream media is just lies and propaganda. Yes, indeed, and, uh, very to true. To call it news now, is a joke. There's one very good piece of information that has emerged as a result of this. Uh, spread of virus, you'd think, where's good news? Well, in fact, there really is some, which is because the economy has been uh, basically turned off everywhere in the world, uh, the skies can be seen as blue 
Waltz yes, in and Shanghai and Beijing right. for the first time in God yes. knows how long. You know, I, and the I same thing there. with yeah. right seeing the Himalayas and yeah. the and the snow there. I mean, it's of some remarkable, beautiful things. Fish showing up. Were you telling me? I believe in Venice, right? Yeah, um, they can so, see fish and, and water's clear. Exactly. So, so what we see is that, that nature, nature has this remarkable regenerative quality. And in fact, Guy and I were on a radio show together the other day. Uh, I invited him into, not mine actually, someone else's. And uh, we were both remarking on this phenomenon of nature. And when we give her half a chance, this is the regeneration that occurs. And I, I want to say uh, that your technology will give ample opportunity to nature to regenerate. And that is of a value that is priceless. And I, I want to just thank you I for just hope we can being get it so deployed diligent and persistent here. I'm sorry? Yeah. I just I say I just hope we can get it deployed in time because that, that's a Indeed. time factor. It, you know, it'd be horrible to watch the world just go to hell in a handbasket ecologically and, and uh, it starts affecting the survival of our species. And then we go, oh, well, there's this technology over here that could have saved us. Well, we exactly. We, we didn't You're have totally deployed. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, based on your diligence and the synchronicity of meeting the people that you have met, uh, you uh, have already received an initial engine from the EU. Uh, it's the beginning. They're, they're due to come yes. over to meet with you in Florida in the next few months. You will do the retrofit. You will demonstrate its efficacy. And, um, you know, I think people will start to catch on and I think yeah, it's they, brilliant. No, thank you. They sent me a, an engine from a troop transport vehicle. That's a, a military field vehicle, and it's a big engine. And uh, they also, um, once we get it running here, they'll be flying over as soon as the uh, air band flight from Europe is is off, and they can get here. Um, yes, it's because of the virus, but. Um, then, then we go back over there, and we we put that engine back in a troop transport or in a tank or whatever it can go in, and we run a series of military field tests on it. So I'm looking forward to all this because one of the biggest problems that I face when I talk to people, you know, if I say, "Well, I run engines on water," they roll their eyes and uh, they don't. They, a, they think you need a tinfoil hat, and then the second thing when you bring up, well, I extract the water from the atmosphere. <laughs> I run engines on that. Then they just, yeah. you know, oh, they get up and walk away because they're conditioned to think that way and uh, water doesn't burn. And yeah. You can't, yeah. There isn't enough water in the air to extract the run fuel. They, they, do, they don't know any facts. They don't do the research, but they have all these presumptions and they don't want to be told that they're wrong. So I don't well, waste my time. Well, there's good news. There's good no. news, Walt, which is that there are enough people who listen to this show and people that you and I both know and our colleagues that recognize intelligence and creativity in action. And when you demonstrate what it is you have, it will allay all questions. Once they see it in operation, well, they'll shrug their shoulders and say, can I still invest? <laughs> so oh, yeah, we've yeah. run out of time.
time, and I want to really, in fact, let me ask you, is there still room for people uh, if they are interested on the financial side yes. of benefiting from what it is you've put together? Is that still available? Yes. Yeah, let, let me okay. give you a little pitch on that. Uh, if you go on our Please. website, you'll see the track. When we first came out, I didn't know what to put the par value of the shares at or the units. They're actually member units in an LLC, slightly different from a C corporation. Um, mm-hmm. The reason they're, they're we're an LLC is because it's run by an operating agreement, and C corporations are run by statute. And the people who made the statute fixed it. So, well, to give an example, um, uh, gosh, Steve Jobs was the genius behind Apple, and uh, mm-hmm. he built that company up to major, major levels. And then the suits came in from uh, Harvard and everywhere else, and they drove it off a cliff and nearly bankrupted it. And then he the number got invited crunchers. back. Yeah, and yes. so when they they messed it up, he got invited back, and he built it up bigger than Exxon. That's that's a, that's a primary thing. Remarkable. When you when you when you get you know a bunch of those kind of guys that think, oh well, they're they're approved by the venture capitalists and they're they're all geniuses at marketing and all this stuff, and they come in, and they really aren't. They have they have all the credentials, but if you, if you don't know your market, it's not just another right. reason what we're doing. It's very different. No, exactly. So, yeah, to get we, back to this, you have a team assembled why, why we're here. And we're, we're actually going to stay private. We're a private placement under Reg D, uh, SEC, and um, Great. our shares started at a dollar. They went to twenty dollars when we got our uh, Canadian patents, and, w- and then when we were informed we get we're getting our U.S. patents after eight years of dirty politics and not being able to get them, we finally got them. So now we, we also have the EU, all the countries in the EU, we have the patents on that. And so we raised, we went to $20. Then when we found that out, we went to $30 beyond, based on that information. And then we found out that there, our, my understanding was that there was a fee of $1,300 you paid to the EU, some EU office, and you, you acquired all those patents. We've acquired them. We've got them accepted. But then we had to file them in each country, and I didn't know that we had to pay each country separate fees. Well, some of those fees are $2,800. Italy is $2,200. Oh, mm-hmm. And like the U.K. is only $200. So it's, it's, a, it's bizarre how they're, each country is putting <laughs> the value on their filing fees. Yes. Anyway, it, yeah. it slapped us with a $41,000 sudden 10-day notice. So we went, oh, oh we've got to raise a bunch of money. So the quickest way yes. we could do that is – is with a, a special issue shares, which we limited to a hundred thousand shares, and we said, look, let's put this back to the original price of a dollar a share. And oh my god! After the, after the 17th of this month, when the deadline is due, originally it was the 15th, but they extended it two days because of cor- the coronavirus. But anyway, oh once that once That's that deadline much. passes, those dollar shares go back to thirty dollars, and so we're we're trying to raise them. Um, Forty fifty thousand dollars to pay the fees and the and the attorney fees, and we do have the money. It's not that we're desperate. It's just that we the way we budget our company is two years in advance. We pay for everything. We we hold the money in advance to pay for the next two years. And when mm. somebody slaps you with a forty or fifty thousand dollar ten day deadline to raise cash, <laughs> yeah. you either take it out. It of throws you off. Hand. Yeah, it it, yeah. it kind of throws a disbalance into the system. So I said, okay, let's do this. And um, we'll uh, 
and, and there's only a couple of days left, so we're kind of at the end Indeed. of that also. But, uh, well, well I'm glad to, that we're we, able to put this yeah. out to the world now, uh, you know, in time for people to come in. Yeah. Why don't you give thank you for explaining <laughs> yeah. well, all of that. That's truly, it's very last minute. What is your contact information you'd like people to have if they'd like to follow up? And well, I'll sure. give mine the, afterwards. The, yeah, uh, the email, uh, get a pen if you have one. And uh, uh, it's H, the letter H is in hydrogen because that's where we started. And then two, the number two, and then global, H2global at protonmail.com. So I'll repeat that. It's H2global at protonmail.com, and the two is a number. Got and it. so if, if anybody wants to email me and check into the – I'd be glad to talk with them about the share situation. And uh, Well, they're actually units. I shouldn't call them shares. I keep getting you – know, my, my buddy yeah, is just saying, hey, don't call them shares. Don't call them shares. In effect. In <laughs> effect. So, people, you can explain all of that I don't really when people call. Too. For sure. Yeah. Well, Walt Jenkins, I want to just thank you so much for sharing all of this and for being the truly brilliant inventor that you are and sharing this with the world. It takes a heart of gold to be so persistent yeah. over time, over so many obstacles to bring this yeah. to the foreground. But it is clearly beginning to get recognized and catching on. So uh, I tip yeah. my hat yeah. to you. And most, I really do. Thank you. Scientific communities, and thank you very much. Oh, let me just one more time, h2ge.com. That's the email, the website. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. That's great. I thank you again, well, thank, and we'll have you on again. We'll have to do this again as, as the company grows and starts to have the desired effect on the world we want. Well, I, ho I hope that very much happens. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Well, you're so welcome. Thank Walt you, Jenkins. Bye-bye now. Sure. Walt Jenkins. Uh, what an inventor. This is exactly the kind of thing we need at this point in time. You know, here at A Better World, as you know, we talk about not just mitigating global warming. We talk about reversing it, a la the teaching of Paul Hawken and Catherine Wilkinson in this stellar book, uh, Drawdown, the plan to reverse global warming. And this technology of Walt Jenkins and his company can be playing and will be playing a leading role in this play and to make this happen. And if you really follow step-by-step all that Walt was sharing with us today, you'll see how practical and real this statement is. So I just welcome you all to participate in whatever way you see fit uh, and pay attention, and you will see this gaining ground across the planet. So I want to thank all of you for listening today. Please pass this on to your friends and family and contact me. I've been getting boned up on the technology. Feel free to contact me as well if I can be of any help and service at mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net. Plus, I love hearing your uh, comments about our shows and any recommendations you may have. And please join our uh, mailing list, our newsletter. I'm on TV in New York City every Monday evening at 7 p.m. as well. And you can catch that if outside of Manhattan at 
abetterworld.tv. That's abetterworld.tv. And we're a nonprofit, a uh, 501c3, so your donations to us to keep us sustained on the air are always appreciated. So thanks again. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you all. Thank you.